Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. All right, today on the Writer Experience Podcast, we've got Jermaine Lucier. Jermaine is an entertainment reporter for Gizmodo and io9 and formerly Slash Film. Jermaine, welcome to the show. What's going on? Uh, not much, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm assuming you're in Los Angeles right now? Yeah, Los Angeles, Sunday morning, a uh, cup of coffee, podcasting, which is kind of what I guess a lot of people do these days. Yeah, formerly from New York, living in LA for about nine years, and I uh, really love it. What part of LA are you? Are you like on the beach right now? No. Yeah, you know, I'm in I'm in the most New York part of LA. I'm in uh, I'm in Hollywood, which sounds like oh, I'm in Hollywood, but really like I moved to where I live right now because I can walk to the ArcLight Hollywood, which is like the theater where most of the press screenings are. So I don't have to drive as much. It sort of cut off a little of the LA experience. And I'm also central to a lot of the studios where, you know, I do uh, interviews and stuff. So, uh, you know, like the best way to describe it for people who aren't in Los Angeles who don't know where the ArcLight Hollywood is, is if you know Grauman Chinese Theater, I live about six, seven blocks from there, and I can walk there too. Wow. So was that part of your decision-making for moving uh, out west? I know you were originally from New York, right? Well, I, I moved out uh, when I was in New York. I was working at a newspaper, uh, and you know, newspapers are dying, uh, basically, and still are. But I just wanted to be closer to movies and stuff. And, uh, and so I was like, well, Los Angeles. And then a friend of mine had a place with a, an empty bed, basically. And he's like, if you want to move out, man, you got a spot. And so I didn't have to like look for an apartment. So I was just like, yeah, let's do it. And then I was going to quit on a Monday uh, to sort of, because you got like two weeks extra, because that was like the first of the month and I would have got like a full week a month of benefits. Okay. And they fired me on the Friday before that. Oh, shit. Uh, which let me go, really, like downsize, whatever you want. I say fired because it, it sounds better. <laughs> but, uh, but it was awesome because this way I just, just locked in my poker face and was like, oh, my God, really? And so then they had to pay me severance and unemployment and all this stuff. They would not have had to do if I just waited, if they had waited till Monday morning. Wow. Uh, so if there was ever like, I'm not real super religious, but if there was ever like a sign like this was the right move, uh, that was it. And it has absolutely been the right move. Yeah. Talk about timing. That's a pretty clean, uh, clean slate right there. So, and you've been out there for how long? Uh, since uh, June, 2009. June, 2009. Okay. So about nine years. And what's the lifestyle of a writer in Los Angeles and Hollywood? What's your well? I mean, I think yeah, I think I think the the most important thing is just, you know like you mentioned I'm an entertainment journalist. I mean, when you say you're a writer in Hollywood, usually you think you're a screenwriter. Uh, so it's very important to make that distinction because I have no idea what that life is because again, I think you range from homeless until living in Beverly Hills. I think the range is writer. Um, and uh, the, for a journalist in LA, it can range from homeless to living in a two bedroom apartment, like I do. I think um, so. Uh, the, the lifestyle is, uh, I don't really know. I mean, I got real lucky. I mean, uh, when, when I moved out here, I didn't really want to stay in journalism because I felt figured, you know, I'd been working at a newspaper for like six years and I was like, this whole art is dead, is dying at least. Um, so I moved out here trying to do something else, you know, not writing. And then I just needed money, needed something to occupy my time and, and fell in with these blogs. Like, uh, I, I started at Collider briefly before going to Slash Film and now io9, um, and so I didn't even really want to say doing this, but I always loved reading these blogs and I felt into, and then so, you know, they sort of looked at my resume and were like, oh crap, you're a, you've been a journalist for a long time. You could do this. Um, so the life of a, I can, so I can't really talk about, you know, like I have friends who work at the Variety and the LA Times now and, and their lifestyle is probably a little different from mine, right. but my, my lifestyle is basically, I, I work from home. Uh, a lot of other people don't. A lot of people have offices, especially in New York City. Um, bloggers, I know, things like that. But I, I work from home and, uh, you know, and spend my days on my couch or in my office writing and watching stuff and listening to stuff. And then, you know, at night, usually two, three times a week going to a movie that I have to write about or could potentially write about. And then, you know, just like L.A. is the best for like just cool shit, you know, like just last week uh, or this weekend, I guess. I, I have no concept of time. Uh, <laughs> I went to, you know, I, I go to a lot of art galleries because I collect pop culture art. And so, you know, I bought all these like awesome like trading cards based on uh, athletes from movies, you know, people, okay. you know, like so like remember the Titans or Rookie of the Year, that kind of stuff. And it's so, like that kind of stuff. Like I do a lot of like weird cultural things like that, too, you know. So it's really it's uh, LA is awesome because it's very much like New York. It's it's sort of what you make of it. So I have this sort of niche of um, work friends 
uh, and then we're colleagues uh, and people who do what I do, who I'm friends with, and we hang out. We see each other at movies and after movies and on our weekends on occasion. Then I have like art friends who I see at art galleries uh, and uh, poster shows and things like that that we uh, will hang out. And then, of course, I obviously haven't mentioned my wife, who also lives here and is in advertising and uh, does a lot of these things with me. So have her. And so, I mean, it, it really, uh, I sort of in that time, oddly created this own little niche for myself um and uh i, I don't think there's there's very few people uh who do exactly what i do um in the way i do it and uh so but i'm pretty happy with the, the lifestyle we've uh, developed that's awesome so when you were young uh maybe i don't know five ten years old thinking about what you wanted to do in life you know there's various options right you work an office job maybe you're a writer but for what you're doing now, working from home, watching movies, going to premieres, had you ever guessed that you would get to this point? Um, this is what I wanted to do. I knew that from the, I don't have a memory of when I decided that, but there was a video of me in second grade. We used to have these pen pals in Nebraska when I was in second grade and we made like a video for them. And you like said something about yourself on the video. And I wish I still had this video, but I literally said, hi, my name is Jermaine. Uh, when I grow up, I want to be like Rex Reed and watch movies for a living <laughs> and review movies for a living. So uh, you know, obviously I didn't really know much about Rex Reed at the time or what he would become, uh, which is a crazy person, but <laughs> I, I knew that I wanted to do it then. So since I was in third grade, I wanted to review movies. And then a little bit later, uh, like when I was in high school, you know, cause I, that was what I wanted to do, but I didn't really know how to do that or if that was even viable, you know? And then in high school I emailed, well, not emailed, uh, wrote to, because it was, uh, you know, 1995, um, my local film critic uh, at the newspaper and uh, asked him, like, hey, how does this work? And, you know, and they're like, I, he and I, he invited me to go into the city with him and we saw some movies. And he sort of, like, explained to me, it's fun, but it's, like, lonely because you're just watching all these movies all the time. Uh, and so I, bas so I basically was like, okay, well, and, th and then you sort of look at, like, Entertainment Weekly, Premier Magazine, and you're like, oh, my God, like, so... Yeah, you can review movies, but these people like go to sets of movies and like interview people. Like, that's pretty cool. I think I want to do that. And so I was doing reviews for my high school newspaper, and then sort of was like, well, I want to do like, I want to do this. I want to analyze movies for a living. And then uh, I found out that NYU had a uh, a major called Cinema Studies, which is a uh, film history, theory, and criticism. And I was like, yep, that is what I want to do. And so. I went to school for it. And so, I mean, it's really weird. Like I could tell, I could keep going until today with this story, but like, basically I always wanted to do this, even though I didn't know how to do it. And then once I figured out how to do it, it sort of kept evolving uh, and changing. But, you know, like I said, from the earliest days, what I wanted to do, I mean, and I think it was in high school where I basically was like, like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to get paid to watch movies. <laughs> it's it's, like, love it's like, what do you love to do? I like to watch movies. What do you want to get paid? You get to say, do what you love. And it's like, well, I love to watch movies. So how can I get paid to watch movies? And it was, you know, be a movie critic or, uh, you know, and I didn't know that like sort of entertainment journalist was a thing at that point. And then it became that. Now I kind of do all of it because of the internet, which, uh, you know, of course I couldn't have foreseen. Um, and I got on pretty late considering with all my other colleagues, but it was, uh, yeah, it's been, it's always been what I wanted to do. I'm one of those weird kids who knew what they wanted to do and got there. And so to go back to your original question, did you ever think it would get to be this? <laughs> no, I knew what I wanted to do. So I, I'm very excited that I'm here, but like, you know, the things I've gotten to do because of this still blow my mind. Like, you know, when I was standing on the set of Avengers Infinity War, you're like, am I really here? This is happening. Like I'm on the set of this movie. I'm watching these people work, you know, or just uh, basically this week, I wrote a review uh, like two weeks ago of Solo, a Star Wars story. Han Solo is my right, favorite character in the movie. Didn't let me down. And then I look on Twitter and the new TV spot has my name on it. And when, when I grew up, oh, of course. I figured like, yeah. So wow. when I grew up, I figured like the mark of success would be that if my mom was watching TV and my name could pop up on the screen in one of those commercials, that would be it. And so that's happened before, like with other movies. And it's really, really cool. But for it to happen to, with a Star Wars movie, not just a Star Wars movie, a Han Solo movie, like that is so niche and so me. And I never, ever could have imagined that, like never. And so like, I just, this is what I always wanted to do. But like everything that it's afforded me is beyond my wildest dreams. And that, would you say that moment, would you say that's one of your uh, career milestones? Yeah, benchmarks? Um, 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a big one. I mean, for sure. But I mean, I think those are different, right? I think bench like that's sort of like a crown jewel almost mm-hmm. right. on, on my on my thing that that I got to do that uh, and that happened. But as for like turning points, no, I mean, like I think I had to build my way up to this point. So like the fact that that happened, that Disney was like, oh, this guy's quotes and this guy's website and this guy's name mean enough that we can put it on a commercial and people won't immediately dismiss it. Uh, it is a long road. Right. Uh, but I think on the way, there were definitely uh, moments that led to that. Uh, but this was just like sort of the current culmination, the current top of the mountain. And I'm assuming that happened like very recently. Oh, this week. Yeah. I mean, wow. I literally saw it for the first time on television uh, Saturday night during uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. And That's the NBA. crazy. So, yeah. That's crazy. Um, and looking at that, looking at that career trajectory, maybe speaking to a new writer who is just starting out, wanting to get to that point, would you say there's any one key thing that set you apart from other people trying to get to where you're at now? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it was, uh, I think it's because I mentioned in the last thing, I, I didn't buy into the internet immediately, right? So I graduated college in 1998. And in 1998, the internet was a thing. Uh, but like, I was still using my mom's email address, you know, like, we, we would just go to kind of, and that was, I just had discovered like Ian Cool News. And it wasn't, it was just like this fun thing on the side. It wasn't our lives yet. So in college and after college, I didn't even think about that as a viable place to uh, make money. I was I the only place you could really do what I'm doing is through magazines and newspapers. So uh, at the, in my senior year of college, well during college I did a couple. Uh, I worked for free for a couple websites just to get a little experience, uh, and that's a whole other story. But worked on a couple websites during college, and then at the end of college for my last semester, I did an internship at Premier Magazine. So I got to like see how that life worked. Uh, and from there, I did an internship at Us Weekly magazine. From there, I did an internship at Entertainment Weekly. Uh, and so using all those then, I got a job uh, at a newspaper, the same newspaper actually, uh, where the critic uh, who I went to the city with in high school worked. It was my local newspaper called The Times Herald Record. It still exists. It covers basically everything in New York from sort of Rockland County to Albany, uh, the Hudson Valley. And then I worked there for six years as a uh, as an entertainment reporter. So I wasn't just covering film. I was covering TV. I was covering art galleries. I was covering musicians and comedians. But me and these two other girls ran the entertainment section. So every Friday, we had a section to put out of like what to do that weekend. It was called the go section. And so, so I think that is what set me apart, was that I, I went to school for it. I, and I, like I said, I, I majored in cinema studies, and then I minored in journalism. So that was, again, the perfect combination. So I knew my movies and knew the journalism. Uh, I had a base at magazines, and then I worked six years at a newspaper. And during that time, I was reading all these websites. Like I was getting some of my information from the newspaper from the websites. Interesting, you know. So, and then I didn't even think about like, oh, this is where I want to work. Like I told you at the beginning, like when I moved out to LA, I never thought like, oh, let me get in touch with Peter Serretta from Slashfilm. I never thought about those things. I was just like, oh, those are those guys who read on those websites I work for. I just was like, I always wanted to work in print because that was the only thing. And and I never even saw the internet becoming what it is now. Uh, especially for film uh, news. So I think that baseline really helped me. And it's definitely not an easier, viable way for somebody to go about it now. Now, I mean, it makes perfect sense to um, get your name out there on some websites, you know, and sort of work your way up. That makes sense to me. And that's the way I would do it today. But I think that's sort of what made me uh, where I got to where I was because, you know, where all these other guys, a lot of them, like, made these websites like dropped out of high school and make these websites or dropped out of college to make these websites or finished college and made these websites or whatever. I worked for literally almost a decade in print journalism, learning like the trips and trade for that before even coming to this. And I don't really employ those as much anymore, but like that baseline is always there. It's why like I, I always get mad about a lot of clickbaity stuff right. and, and non-news and that kind of things. I have a real bigger, much bigger chip on my shoulder about it. Because I came from that world of like hard news where like you have like six inches to fill and not like you can write 3,000 words about anything, you know, like I came from that the whole other world, an old school world. So I kind of see myself as kind of one of the last of those old school, uh, you know, journalists, uh, even though I was not much of a journalist. I mean, the biggest news story I ever broke was about like a guy on American Idol. But, uh, <laughs> it was still uh, it was still uh, it was still fun. And I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And now you're working for Gizmodo. Do you want to tell us a little bit about like how that all went down and uh, I've seen a lot of your articles and maybe it's a review about solo or like, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do for Gizmodo? Sure. Well, I guess, well, the bridge sort of the Gizmodo was, um, that wasn't your question. 
but it kind of helps inform. Yeah, that ties it in. Yeah, um, like I said, moved to LA and didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I was on Twitter and I saw uh, Steve Weintraub from Collider saying he wanted writers. And so I messaged him. And I think, like I said, all that stuff I just told you about with the newspaper and stuff, I think very quickly impressed him. And I was writing for them uh, like once a day. And then he, as a reward, was like, hey, you want to go visit a set for me? Uh, and I was like, yeah. So I went to the set of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And there I met Peter Sertis from Slash Showman. And at the time, Slash Showman was my favorite one of these blogs. And I struck up a conversation with Peter because he and I both had some similar interests, obviously. Uh, and we became really fast friends. And he had mentioned just in passing that he needed somebody else, a new person, on that set visit. So I kept that in the back of my head. I wasn't getting paid on Collider. Like my pay was this trip to Vancouver, which is pretty sweet anyway. Right. And then and then like the next week, emailed Peter. And I'm like, hey, I remember you mentioned that. What do you think about me for the job? And uh, and yeah, and boom. And then I started there. I was there for about five years. And, and based on my work at Slash Film, uh, eventually um, one of the reporters at io9, who I'd become friendly with. That's the other thing, too, that's really cool about this. And, and I'll get back to this. is like A lot of people who do what I do, um, like I said, we all see each other at places, be it screenings, be it parties be it comic-con be it whatever we all see each other at these things so we all become friends uh, twitter is a huge part of it too like you know we all sort of follow each other on twitter and joke or see what each other are writing about and retweet stuff like so like me and like people who work for almost every website out there know each other or are friendly with each other or are like really friendly with each other i don't that sounded terrible but you know what i mean like better. <laughs> um <laughs> i get it so, so yeah so one of those people uh her name is meredith warner she's currently a variety uh was like hey um I'm leaving io9 and uh, we were looking for replacements and what do you think about it? And now at the time I loved working for Slash Film and uh, and I was scared about it but io9 was owned by Gawker at the time and was offering benefits, was offering more money. Uh, the only downside really uh, well, too was I didn't want to leave Peter. I felt very loyal to him but also um, io9 uh, only covers uh, science fiction movies. So Going to Sundance, uh, which I had done a bunch of years of slash film, was kind of out of the question. And writing about comedies uh, was kind of out of the question. Oscar movies that weren't Arrival or Mad Max were out of the question. So I, that was a big uh, sacrifice. But I was like, I think it was worth it. Because as much as I love those movies, the stuff I love the most is science fiction. Was Star Wars, is Marvel. And at that time, this was like 2015, 15, like Star Wars was just about to explode again. And I was like, I want to be, I want to have my own site for this. And oh, I don't have my own site, but I would have, they were like, you're going to be the head guy when it comes to entertainment on our site. So I, I weighed all those things and, and moved and I'm very happy I did because it's been great. And basically now what I do is what I've always done again, to get back to your initial question is, um, Basically, my day breaks down to either I'm working on I'm, – I'm surfing Twitter looking for news to aggregate. Uh, I'm talking to people on occasion for news to break. That's much more difficult now and not a big part of my time but a little bit of my time. Uh, or I'm writing feature stories, which could involve research or can involve interviews uh, or anything like that uh, and uh, or, or reviews. So basically, half my time is spent news with news. Half my time is spent with features. And there's also some uh, travel that's involved, uh, like I said, to sets or to press junkets or events to, to cover, to write about. Um, and so, yeah, so whereas back in the old school days, I was talking about, you know, one person would do the movie reviews and one person would do, you know, the TV reporting and one person would do the movie reporting. I kind of do everything uh, with the focus on movies because of all the people at io9, uh, again, through my slash film days, I have all the contacts, all the movie studios. So like, a couple of days ago, there's this rumor going around that uh, Kathleen Kennedy had said, "Oh, our next Star Wars movie." Oh, Lando I, I, movie. I read that. Yeah, it's not true, right? No, it's not true. So okay. th what happened was it was a, it was a quote from she was in Cannes for Solo, and they in Premier Magazine France put up an article in French, and when you hit Google Translate, that's how it read. And then all these sites started to run that, and so I woke up and I was like, "Wait, this, let's double check this because." Google any articles that are go from English into a foreign language and back to English are never right. And Kathleen Kennedy, when talking about the future of Star Wars, chooses her words very carefully. Everybody involved with these big franchises, of Marvel, course, DC, yeah. Star Wars, choose their words very carefully when it comes to these things. They never say definitively until it's definitive. Right. So, uh, so I woke up and um, one of my bosses had emailed uh, my Disney contact, but the Disney contact I knew because of my job was uh, was on vacation. 
So I emailed another contact at Star Wars or at Lucasfilm at Star Wars. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and it was like, hey, what about this? And that person wrote back to me and said, no, that's not true. This is what they said. And so I, we were able to get the right information out there um, where a lot of other people wouldn't – a lot of other sites don't even email to check. They just throw it up there because boom, let's get it up. So uh, a lot. So a lot of my job is fact checking the other other people's work. But I was the one who was able to to get that information very quickly. So that's kind of what I do in I O Nine. Besides all the writing, also is sort of I, I'm sort of the conduit between the Hollywood studios, the movie production companies, and everything on our site. So I got to try to make sure that what we say is accurate, that we have comments from people, and uh, yeah, and uh, and that when we piss off people, we do it for the right reasons. Right. That's actually really kind of scary when I think about it, right? I I had seen that article, and I think I even might have shared it with like a friend on uh, a group chat or something. Like, <laughs> Lando's the next film, but that's right, crazy right. that like in this day and age, like there's just so much news, there's so much oversaturation that people will just believe at face value like anything that gets posted, and it'll right. get I mean, distributed the, so quickly. The, exactly. I mean, it's the it's the fake news thing, you know. I mean, that that that, yeah. that has a whole different connotation these days. But when when there's like 400 million movie websites competing for your views. Uh, and very little culpability because like you said, you, you probably saw that headline. You didn't even look at the source or like where it was from. You probably, or maybe you were like, Oh, it's from this website that I trust. You know? Exactly. But you don't know, like, you know, you just share it. You don't think about like, you know, like, uh, and they say it's from, and then even if you went to the other step and you read it, it says from premier magazine, you're like, Oh, that's trustworthy too. But like, again, like there's, it's very, very difficult to, to sort of wade through this stuff. And, uh, yeah, the fake news stuff happens. It happens more so than movies uh, in with movie stuff than anywhere. Be, uh, not than anywhere, but it, it happens just as much as you uh, anywhere else because there's very little readers don't uh, think about the of the article as often as the writers do. So they see a thing, it's right or it's wrong. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean they're going to stop using that source because a lot of times they get their news from Facebook or somewhere like that. Right, and you know. The name of the website is kind of hidden. You just see the headline. So me personally, if I saw a website was posting a lot of crap or things that were incorrect, I'd be like, well, I'm not going to trust these guys anymore. And I would unfollow them or this or that. But like 99% of the people don't do that. So and, and consider it and they just keep clicking on it. And a lot of most people just get their stuff from Google. So if you were to Google, I'm sure if you Googled like today, you know, like Lando movie, Star Wars. I'm sure the webs. I'm sure a lot of articles from that still pop up that are still incorrect. Right. So like Because once it's up there, it's done. They don't even think about it. Uh, it's 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 a. It's not a big deal because it's movies, obviously. It's not changing the way of the world like some of these other things. But it is uh, – yeah, it's a, it's a, an issue with the, what we do. Definitely. In the spirit of that weeding through you know, oversaturated things, I'm assuming you get, you're getting a ton of emails from people with films, people from film companies, tons of stuff, wanting to self-promote, all this stuff. How do you – organize that how do you like sort through it and find what's important what's not um i'm yeah. assuming that's like a big part of your day yeah do- oh, definitely um i mean let me look at my email right now <laughs> uh, right, right i like right now i, I have, like the live chat i have 200 right now i have 285 emails in my work email and in 80 in my personal email but the 285 are all basically things that like i think are worth following up on but i'm just too lazy or, or slow to do it but basically, like, yeah, a big part of my day is reading these emails. Like I said, I get you know, hundreds a day from publicists, from everything you just said. And the way I do it is it's just personal barometer. It's just personal barometer. It really is. It's like, if you read it, is this cool? Yes. Do a lot of readers think it's cool? Yes. Or if I don't think the reader's cool, if I think it's cool, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, to follow this up. And 90% of the stuff is not, you know, like, I feel terrible because these people like really try with these things. But if I, if it doesn't strike me, if it doesn't interest me, uh, I, I don't pursue it unless it's something like that. My boss is like, Hey, pursue this, you know, which honestly doesn't happen that often. They pretty much trust my barometer for what I think is cool and what I think is worthwhile. Um, and, and sometimes that's really weird stuff. And sometimes I have a really personal barometer. Uh, and, and that's why we have other people on the site. Like you said, uh, one of the other episodes, you talked to Charles Pulliam Moore, and Charles is amazing, but he and I have very different tastes when it comes to these things. So he might be like, oh, this is the most important thing ever. And I'll be like, I have no idea what it even is. <laughs> so, so go for it, you know? So yeah, it, you just got to go with your gut. I mean, after all this time, if you wrote about everything you uh, got in, it would be very, very difficult. Um, it also helps, like I said, that IO9, you have to, IO9 and Gizmodo, I didn't, I didn't really ever get to that. IO9 is part of Gizmodo, it's a subthread uh, or uh, whatever right. that word is that I'm forgetting, uh, of Gizmodo. So Gizmodo is the largest thing, we're part of it. We used to be a separate site, but now we're part of it. Um, IO9 and Gizmodo, we only cover uh, 
science fiction, right? And we stretch that a little bit. So it's only things that are unrealistic. So if you if you pitch me something uh, and it's a it's a drama or it's a documentary uh, or anything like that, uh, unless there's something in it that's not possible, I can't write about it. So like a good example that's tough to sort of categorize, you know, obviously like Star Wars or, you know, Marvel Justice League is all very easy to categorize. That stuff is impossible. You write about. <laughs> you know, and then there, and there's the other side where it's like, you know, Moonlight or La La Land, actually kind of interesting, but like Moonlight or, you know, a Spotlight or something like that. We don't cover that hard drama stuff. But then there's stuff like The Fast and the Furious, like where it sort of started, where it was kind of believable. Even though it's, it's exaggerated, it's still possible. But then they started like flying through the air and stuff. So is that not, you know? Um, but the second they put a spaceship in there <laughs> or, or a rocket pack, it's 100% all right. it's over 100% good to go. So it's a, so that actually helps me a lot when it comes to curating. Filtering, uh, The yeah. stuff that comes into my, yeah, exactly. Is being like, uh, this sounds really cool, um, or even if it doesn't sound cool, uh, this is great, but we don't cover this stuff. Uh, so that really helps uh, me uh, go through stuff. But again, uh, we're one of the few sites that do that. Most sites out there cover everything. Um, and, uh, and and that's hard because uh, I used to do that too. And uh, I think you, then you have to be even more uh, careful. And when people are pitching you, are they going the press release route? Are they saying, hey, Jermaine, what's good? I just think that you might really enjoy this. What do you suggest to those, you know, writers or producers who are trying to get content out there? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I get, I get all kinds and, um, I suggest be personal. Okay. I mean, I mean, it could be a forum email or something, but make sure the name is right. <laughs> make sure the outlet is right. Like I said, I, I suggest be personal. I suggest, uh, use people's real names unless it's something huge. Like if you, you know, everybody's going to want to write about it. You can just blast it out, you know, Stranger Things season three coming or, you know, like whatever that that makes sense. But like if you want to pitch me something different, I want you to know what I know, like know what I like or know what you think I might like and explain to me like, hi, Jermaine, I have this new project. I think you'll like it because of this. Um, And we'd love to get some coverage, you know, as opposed to like, hi, blank. You know, like, here's right. the latest info. Let me know if you need it. Like, the more robotic it is, the, the better the content has to be. The more personal it is, the content doesn't need to be as good because I'm going to read it and engage with it and be like, oh, you know what? They thought about this. Let me think about this for a minute. And even if that doesn't work, those people get a reply, at least, you know. Uh, I, I try to reply to anybody who personally emails me about it. Even if I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry this isn't our thing. Or, uh, you know, like, I'll let you know. Um, but it's impossible to reply to everything. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. It, and that's a hard job because publicists for movie studios or uh, who are being hired by these movies or these projects, be it board games or video games or VR, whatever you want to do, they have to email as many people as possible, right? So I get it. Like the easiest thing to do is just create a big BCC list and hit right, send. Exactly. Um, and, and that's the easiest thing to do. And I get it. And I don't automatic. I never automatically cut something out because of that. But if the people take the time to curate that, like I'm curating what they're sending me, it goes a million miles. Let's talk about when, let's say a bigger studio reaches out to you or as as a example case, let's talk about your article about Solo. So I read the Solo is a damn fine Star Wars story as an example. Um, how did you go about deciding on that article, writing that article? Um, was that, did someone from Disney reach out and say, hey, could you do this? Did you decide, um, you know, I want to tell the story because this is what I'm passionate about because I know your um, your icon on the IO9 is the, the Han Solo and Carbonite. Uh, or was that like a IO9, someone from there saying, hey, uh, we need an article, like a review of Solo and you'd be perfect for it. How did that come about? And Yeah. Um, that, well, th- that one's, that one's, it's an interesting, it's not as interesting a case as you might think, because obviously it's one of the biggest movies of the year. We're going to write about it, right? So right. Um, we need to get a review up as soon as possible. Uh, and so, yeah, the way the way that happens is, I mean, on the site, uh, at least on, on io9, I sort of am the default person for movie reviews. And this is a movie review we're talking about here, the solo piece in, in particular. Correct, yeah. Um, and so unless my editor thinks somebody else is better for the job or somebody else sees the movie uh, earlier, like I have uh, some colleagues in Austin who get to go to like South by Southwest and they see movies before I will. So they'll write the reviews. I'm usually the default guy unless there's a, another reason for somebody else to do a review. So especially in the case of a Star Wars movie, um, like I basically get first crack and I'm a Star Wars fan. And yeah, that might give me a little bias, but I think everybody knows that. I'm not like, uh, I don't try to hide that, you know? So then, yeah. So what happens is like, 
I get the email from Disney saying like, hey, the screening is this day. And the review embargo is two days later. So I immediately RSVP, like as fast as you've ever seen anything happen in the world. I'm going to a Star Wars invite. I'm like, oh, yes, yes, me. And then uh, I say, hey, uh, Rob, who's my editor, uh, solo screening is Thursday. The review embargo is the following Tuesday. And he's like, great. Uh, and then he says, I want the review done by Monday. So we can edit it, talk about it, and then get it up on Tuesday. So I see the movie Thursday. I take notes during the screening, collect my thoughts, uh, and then over the next couple of days, I'll sit there and bang it out, and you know, go over it and over it. And then finally, I'll send it to him, and be like, "All right, good to go." And then he'll come back and say, "What did you mean by this? What did you mean by this? I compressed this. You said this twice. However, it goes, and and then it ends up on it." So. Uh, yeah, that's generally the case with these kind of things. And then, you know, if that's a movie review, the way it works for like a, a news story is if I see something, uh, we have a Slack room and then like we sort of say, um, I'll say, oh, look, uh, you know, uh, John Favreau just got hired to do uh, Star Wars TV shows. If I'm the one that drops that in, I sort of gives me dips and then I'll write it up. Or unless like there's no one else to write it up uh, or I might be busy and I might see it and be like, hey, somebody grab this. And then we sort of work like that. But it's all sort of – there's no really hierarchy there. We just kind of all grab everything when we can when it comes to news. And then features every week, we pitch uh, at least three stories. Uh, and then Rob goes through and picks the ones he likes and schedules them out through the week. And then uh, my other managing editor, Jill, gives uh, – will sort of schedule us time throughout the week before to work on those. So you know, coming up, I have a story – I have a couple stories about Solo, and I already finished one for – Tomorrow that I'm black. Oh, Deadpool two stuff. So uh, it's like so yeah. So you have things uh, like that. So it really comes down to you coming up with fresh ideas every week. And uh, you know, if me and somebody else pitch something, we might collaborate on it. Uh, that happens. You know, I, you write half, I'll write half. Uh, on I it's really pretty. There's no um, there's no real competition when it comes to that stuff. Um, we're not really judged by. Uh, I mean, everybody's judged by the numbers, obviously, how many clicks things get. But we're not really judged by that. Um, so it's not like we're fighting like, no, I want to write the trailer post. that's obviously going to get 250,000 views or it's, it's like, it just is what it is. We sort of let it fly. Uh, so that answers your movie question and everything else. (laughs) Um, and as far as the actual writing process itself, when you sit down to write a review, are you going to see that film for a second time to kind of gather more Info, are you taking notes in the theater? Are you coming back and kind of formulating an outline? I would love to know a little bit more about your process for how you kind of get it from a thought or a quick review from coming out of the theater and how you get to a finished product. Sure. Uh, well, I do take notes in the movie. Um, I, I bring on like an old school notebook and, and, and write uh, really messy notes that sometimes I can't even read because I'm in the dark. Uh, but most of the time I don't use those. I only use those probably like 10% of the time. It really like, it's just a matter of, sometimes writing down plot points or ideas I have. And then by writing it down, it sort of puts it in my memory. Um, so that's, it's really more of an exercise for me uh, than like a, a, a hard, fast thing that I follow. But um, I'll do that. I'll take the notes. I'll work out, walk out and sort of think about, you know, what I thought of it. And I'll have, I'll go by my general gut of like, I liked it. And then I, uh, or I didn't like it, or I'm not sure about it. And I'll sort of go with one of those three. And um, I would love to see a movie second. I, ideally, everyone would see a movie twice all the time. But like in the case of Solo is a great example. Like Disney has only so many screenings for every single journalist right. in L.A. So uh, they, for the most part, do not let you go twice. Uh, they're like, you saw it. You're good. You know, you're off the list now. Uh, pay to see it when it comes out. You know, like that's pretty much it. Sometimes you get to see a movie twice um, through other circumstances. And sometimes if you really push for a smaller movie, uh, maybe they'll let you do it. But all, a lot of times, like I said, the movies, you see them on Tuesday before they open Thursday nights. So you have you don't have that much time. You couldn't see it twice, even if you wanted to. Um, so ideally, you'd see it twice, but most of the time we don't get to. So I go with one of my gut reactions. I liked it. I didn't like it. Or I'm in the middle. And then I'll sort of sit down and just like, I'll just sort of type. I won't worry about anything. I won't worry about uh, if it makes sense, I won't worry about if it has a strong intro, a strong structure. I'll just sort of start like typing like I was typing an email. And then I'll end up with a couple hundred words of, you know, gobbledygook. And I'll be like, okay, well, let's see sort of – and like, in that process, I sometimes will discover why I like what I like, why I didn't like it, or ha- where I fall in the middle. Just by writing it down, being like, well – I think by this, they did this. Oh, and then like I'll sort of discover it while I'm writing it. Like uh, it, The writing is almost like a exercise where I'm getting results on the page where it's like, oh, okay. Like I said, there are times where I won't know why I liked something until I start writing. And then I'll start of 
try to explain it and then it'll come out. It'll be like, oh, I love the editing here or the music here or the character development here. Like, I won't think about that immediately when I walk out of the theater. It's not until I sit down and sort of consider it as a film and not just like an emotional reaction do I finally come to that. So then I'll just have like these, like, let's say like 600 words of nonsense. And then I'll sort of go to the top and be like, all right, let's, and then I'll just sort of work it through. I think my, my favorite analogy of this is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson talks about writing like ironing. It's like you just go over like the edge. And so you keep going over the same edge and getting a little bit more each time. So, you know, do one big down iron and then you iron half of that and then another half is new. And that's sort of what I do with writing is I'll go through it and I'll sort of just fix it, this and that. Oh, that makes more sense. And, so, and definitely spend some time on uh, the lead because uh, it's a big thing uh, in writing these days. People don't understand sort of the structure of like a, like a pyramid where, and this is the thing that you learn in journalism school is, you know, start with the best thing you got and then work your way down, you know. In hard news, that's the the news. In uh, in movie reviews, it's your it's your your best sentence, your funniest thought, your most interesting insight. I try to start with that if I can, and then work my way down. You know, as little plot description as possible, but you obviously need some to sort of give the reader context. And then yeah, you, I go through and I write it, and then it just slowly gets better. And then I'll be like, well, I don't mention every aspect of every uh, filmmaking in every single review. Um, so like maybe I don't even talk about the performances in a movie. So I'll be like. Well, should I mention those? And I'll think about it and say, well, does that help my argument or does right. it not help my argument? And then I'll I'll go through and do that. So, um, and then, like I said, slowly but surely. And then I'll once it's so sort of done, done, I probably go over it like uh, again more for like a review or a feature than a news story that I sort of have to get out as soon as possible. But uh, for a review, like yeah, I, I'll go over it like six, seven times at least, like rereading it to myself, fixing little things, uh, making words stronger, making sure I don't say the same adjective like fifteen times. A lot of times I'll be like, did I say excellent like 17 times? Just <laughs> wow. Do control F. And it's, if it's more than two, I change them, you know, like, um, and I make sure that the paragraphs don't all start with the or it, you know, try to start each paragraph with a different word, just like little personal rules I have for myself. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then that's it. I think uh, one of the greatest things any writer could have is a great editor. Um, I, I happen to have worked for a bunch of them. Uh, Rob Brecken, who I worked for now, is a great editor where he'll go through and make what I sound better and challenge me on things I say and things I meant. And that is amazingly helpful. Um, you just have to have, you know, it's a little bit of a thicker skin, but I mean, and I learned that from, I had an editor back in my newspaper named Robin Rothman, who I still am in touch with. And she used to be brutal, like brutal to me about like, why did you say this? Or what does this mean? And that sort of, and, and it just makes you a better writer. So again, once I have given my best foot forward, I send that to my editor and then he'll, uh, or she in either case will be like, this is great. This is not. And and then they'll be like, look back at the changes I made. I'll go back over the changes and say, I don't agree with this. I agree with this. Can we talk about this? Can I use this word? Can we use that word? And then and then it's done. So it's way more in depth than uh, yeah. than most people probably think. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think about every little aspect and go over it like that. And then you release it. Um, and at that point, are you thinking about, okay, what's the reception of this going to be? Or are you already moving on? Okay, on to the next article. And do you have let's say something you've put out that you're the most proud of or that had the best reception or how, like, how do you look at that? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, when I put something up, um, I care about what people think of it for maybe the day, you know, especially if it's, a, if it's a news story, I kind of forget about it. Sometimes uh, my wife will come home and be like, what'd you write about today? I'll be like, I don't remember. <laughs> Literally if it's like news. Um, but if it's like the, a review like that or a feature, I think about it for a day or two. Um, you can usually tell the ones that I care about because I tweet them out. I don't tweet out everything I write, just the stuff that means something to me. And so I, I follow like the traffic on it and the reception on it for like a day. Uh, and by, But after like a day or two, that's pretty much it. I'm on to the next thing. Uh, I do not read comments, never read comments. Everybody else reads comments. I do not. Uh, say what you want about me. I do not want to read the comments. Uh, and, then, uh, and then it's on to the next thing. And then for things I'm most proud of, I mean, that's really hard. I mean... Th- Things that st- stand out to me, at least in my io9 days, are two, of course, Star Wars articles. Um, one, I did uh, an article on the 20th anniversary of the Star Wars Special Editions, um, which was last year and sort of went by very unceremoniously because most people don't think of the Special Editions as like a good thing. Uh, and I don't necessarily think they're a good thing from a film standpoint, but... These are the editions was- with the, the Lucas editions... Correct. They were released okay. in 1997. Yeah, right. the, the, okay. yeah, the new versions of the movies, right? So, uh, and so most people hate those. But I wrote an article about their 20th anniversary, and I was like, 
and I was basically thinking about it, I was like, without those movies, we don't have Star Wars today because, uh, you know, those movies sort of repopularized the genre, uh, the franchise after, you know, 15 years of nowhere, you know, and then it was because of those we got the prequels. Well, they were coming anyway, but it sort of was the beginning of what we are in now is the Star Wars renaissance, right? So Interesting. I wrote this article, I wrote this article about that, like, everybody hates these, but these are the reason we are what we are today and talk to um, some people, Lucasfilm, a lot of fans or like super fans of the franchise who didn't even know about Star Wars until 97, um, some other people. And, and, and interestingly enough, like a lot of like people intimately involved with Star Wars don't want to even really talk about the special editions, which is kind of funny, um, which again goes kind of to my point where they're kind of bastardized, but they're in. So anyway, anyway, I'm going to have to tell you the article, but like that's one I'm particularly proud of because I think it was a really strong idea and I executed well. And then a couple years before that, I was really obsessed with this app called Star Wars Card Trader, which is like this digital card trading app, uh, which is like the dumbest thing in the world. And now I've mentioned trading cards twice in this interview. So <laughs> that's what I was, and I don't even care. But the, the, I was really into this trading card app. And again, we were pitching article ideas that we have to do every week. And I'm like, I'd really like to like learn more about this. And my editor was like, cool. And uh, and so I got in touch with people at Tops and fans and, and did this whole article about uh, the app and like why it's so successful. And my editor at the time uh, really pushed uh, for me to have some real personality in there, too, for my personal story to be in with the objective reporting. And I think the article turned out really well. And then actually to this day, I still get people who message me and be like, hey, I got I got into that app because of reading your article. And that's really, really, really awesome. I mean, so it's a it's a really stupid subject about digital trading cards, but uh, it, it I know for a fact that it had an impact on some people. So those are two that stand out that, I, uh, that I'm pretty proud of and happy with. It's cool that the way that you look at the reception to your articles is based on your own kind of personal fulfillment and kind of that example of changing someone's perspective as opposed to looking at the comments and, and being like, oh, did other people like it? Because at the end of the day, I don't think it's really about, from your perspective, getting approval from anyone. It's really about telling the best story, right? I think, yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah. Um, cool. So you had talked about being on set. Um, were you on set for any of the Star Wars films? or And how does that even come about? Do they invite you? Like, How often are, do you get to go on set? What's that like? Yeah, well, the the white whale, uh, the last the last crown jewel in my or the last jewel in my Infinity Gauntlet would be a Star Wars set visit. Uh, so that is not happening. <laughs> there um, it is. They don't they don't need to do that. I mean, <laughs> well, neither does Marvel, and I've been on like six or seven Marvel sets. But so no, I haven't been on a Star Wars set. I've been to the Sky, uh, Lucasfilm and things like that for Star Wars events and to premieres, four of them, but never to a set. Uh, one day, knock on wood. Um, but the way a set visit comes up is the studio invites you, uh, and they basically invite anywhere between 10 and 15 outlets. Uh, and generally, the studios pay for your travel. And when I was on Slash Film, we accepted that. Uh, but then once we started working for Gawker and io9, and now io9 and Gizmodo are owned by Univision, uh, we do not accept those trips. So we, what happens is if they invite me, uh, I say, great, I'd love to come. Let me know when it is and where it is, and I'll book my own travel, and I'll see you there. So the company pays for it, so that there's no ethical dilemmas at all. Right. Uh, not that I think any of my colleagues are ethically, uh, what's it called, uh, influenced by these trips, but better safe than sorry is, I guess, the way my company sees it. So what happens is the studio invites however many outlets, and how they curate who those outlets are for what movies is still a mystery to me, and I've been in this business for a long time. And so they'll say, okay, um, Tuesday, next Tuesday to next Thursday – uh, we want you to come to Toronto to visit the set of Shazam, which is the last one I was on. And so I was like, okay. And, you know, I talked to my editors and we figure it out. We see, figure out a budget. We book everything. And then um, you fly up there. You get an itinerary. You meet everybody where you need to meet them. They drive you to set. And then you're there all day. Uh, and basically, you every set visit is a little different. Um, but you sit around and you uh, you watch. You, they usually generally give you like a presentation, a sort of overview of the movie they're making. Uh, and then you'll talk to maybe a producer or a writer or director, and then you'll sort of watch them film whatever the scene of the day is. And then whoever, while those people are available, they'll bring them in to talk to you, be it the actors, production designers, uh, costume. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then so you take all that information and they say, great, thank you so much. Uh, this movie doesn't come out until next March. You can't write about it until we tell you. So shut up about it. Uh, and except for you can a lot of times, a lot of times you can't say you were there at all. I can say wow. I was on Shazam. Um, but I can't tell you anything I saw on the set of Shazam yet. But so, uh, and then, so like I'll, what I'll do personally is that you take all those ideas and, uh, you know, I, I'm taking notes all day and then on the flight back, usually I'll take two hours or an hour and get, get and do sort of what I do, just sort of type and like, what are the most important things I remember from the set visit? 
and then have about a thousand words of nonsense. And then I take that and save it and put it in a folder. And then I don't think about it for eight months. And then I get an email from Warner Brothers, whoever, and like, hey, the embargo on this lifts in two weeks. And then I'll go back and then I will, you know, make it right. And I'll, I'll, I'll rewrite my, uh, my, my set visit. So, and then, yeah, and those are, uh, they're, they're really fun. They're valuable. If people read them. A lot of people don't read them um, because they are usually longer pieces, uh, more in-depth pieces. And on the internet, it's all about the headline. Right. Um, but there's a lot of information that we've uncovered on set visits that, you know, we'll publish, you know, three months before movies out. And then like the week of the movie, they'll be like, oh, did you know this? And everyone will run it. I'll be like, yeah, we knew it three months ago. It's in my article. <laughs> like, why don't you guys read this stuff? So, so yeah, that's sort of how it works. And I've been on, like I said, the set visit, the first one I've ever been on was uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And that was sort of where I got my start. And since then, I, I actually was thinking recently about counting how many I've been on. But it's got to be 15 to 20. Um, usually you get to do two or three a year, at least for me. I mean, other people do way more than that. And uh, But it's a lot of fun. And it's really, really cool to see the process. And I've got to see some awesome, awesome stuff on sets. And go on sets of also off of movies and see nothing <laughs> because they're so secretive. It's also a thing that happens. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting, cool thing that I get to do. Um, and yeah. Cool. Um, kind of a bit of a left field question. Are you, as a writer, do you write fiction? Do you write outside of what you do for work? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I've always thought about it, but, and, you know, obviously you can't be a writer who loves movies and not think about screenplays. Right. So I've thought about it, but I've never ever had the desire to do it. Um, which, you know, maybe makes me a coward <laughs> to not like put that out there. Or maybe the timing is just know. not right. You'll get there. Well, the timing, I yeah. just, I just, I just, yeah, maybe I, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I've never had a story that I really have been that passionate about. I like, I like having experiences, like awesome experiences of myself. And this is so selfish, but it's sort of what I do. I love having like learning about cool things and doing cool things. And then, telling people about that and trying to let them have them, uh, people who can't do the awesome things that I do, uh, live a little vicariously through me. Um, which again, sounds super selfish. Uh, and I don't mean it that way implicitly, but I know it sounds like that. And it is, I, I but I really do love that. I love, uh, I love writing about things and like trying to convey how much I love something or hate something, uh, to other people and have them sort of experience that and, and, and to connect with them on that level. So uh, you can definitely do that with fiction or screenplays or whatever, but it's not something that I really uh, have ever thought too, too much about. Do you have a, a lot of younger writers reaching out to you at all, of asking for advice or for how to get their foot in the door or, or that kind of thing? Um, I would say a lot, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've helped some writers out there and I have people ask me questions and stuff. So yeah, it's not like a, I'm not like, you know, like inundated with like requests to be like, please help me out. But I will. But I definitely have people ask me, and I'm very open to that. And like I said, it was because I did that to another film critic, you know, when I was 16 years old. Exactly. That I was able to do that. So, so I, I would definitely help people. It's just it's a whole new world now. So, uh, you know, like when I did it, I worked for free a lot uh, at different at those magazines. I didn't get paid at Premiere Us Weekly, uh, and I'm very fine. I was fine with that. These days, it's very, very uh, it's sort of taboo online to be like, oh, you work for free. Um, and because I think people abuse people who work for free online, not physically, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, uh, but I always thought like, you know, if you can get your foot in the door, if as long as you don't, as long as people aren't taking advantage of you, um, writing at all and getting people to read it is a good thing. So I, uh, I would always say, you know, what, if you can get people, if you can write and get people to read it, whether you're getting paid or not, that's pretty good payment. Um, obviously you want to get paid, you want to get some kind of, uh, incentive. So I wouldn't advocate doing it for too long, but as a way to get experience, I tell people that I think it's a good thing. Uh, and I'm definitely in the minority of that, but I think it's because I'm a product, uh, that proved that it works. Totally. And what do you do for fun? We talked a lot about your career. I mean, I know you mentioned collecting. Is there like a nightlife scene? Are you out networking with other writers at night? Are you more of a low key? I'm just going to watch movies. Like what's your, what's your outside of yeah. work life? Um, it's, it's sort of in the middle. It's not a, uh, no, I mean, I'm 38 years old. The nightlight nightclub life is done, but we do, um, it, it varies. You know, my wife and I love to go to parties. We obviously do a lot of movies and we obviously see a lot of people at movies and the movies going to the movies are sort of our main social outlet. But, uh, and then also, like I said, gallery openings, I collect pop culture art, uh, pretty prolifically. And, uh, so we got to we'll go to a lot of events, uh, 
you know, related to that. And anytime you can like social a movie, we love that. We go to like out here in LA, we have like a lot of outdoor screenings. So we go to a lot of those are, um, uh, I'm trying to think of another example, which I can't, but like, so, um, we probably go out like three nights a week if you clamp movies. And one of those is like a party night, maybe, uh, other nights it's just sit in and catch up on TV, you know? So it's, it's pretty low key, but there's definitely a lot of fun stuff that we do. Um, it just, you know, it's just kind of fun for us. You know, it's not like the general, like a lot of people are like, wait, you went to see three movies this week. It's like, yeah, uh, a lot of people like, and that's a little much for other people. For us, that would be <laughs> an awesome week, you know? For sure. Um, before we wrap up tomorrow morning, it's a Monday. Um, you wake up tomorrow. What's the first thing on your mind going into a day as a writer? When's the weekend? <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, um, yeah, but um, no, the, uh, it, it's, it's what do I have to do this week? What do I have to accomplish? So I look at my Google calendar and be like, okay, I have, uh, I'm seeing Solo again on Thursday night. And actually there's a holiday weekend coming up. So I have uh, some time off this week. And, but I, and I look at the features I have to do. Well, I, I already finished that Deadpool feature. Uh, I have a solo feature that I need for the end of that week. And, oh, actually, by the way, we're off next Monday, so let me get ahead and get something done for that week. And then sort of – and then that's – so I sort of I get an idea of what I need to do this week, kind of mental to-do list or sometimes an actual to-do list. And uh, and then just hit the ground running, you know, uh, make some coffee, sound online, and then just sort of just keep an eye on Twitter, what's going on, uh, not just with my friends but the news more importantly, you know, and see like, oh, is this worth writing about? Is this not worth writing about? Talk to my colleagues, figure stuff out get stuff up on the site, you know, end the day about 5.30 usually. Uh, and, but then always, I'm always keeping an eye on the news and stuff. So if something breaks at like 9.30 at night and I'm sitting on my couch, and it's time to work, you know, get that thing up. So, um, so I'm kind of always working, but really only sitting down and, and writing, uh, you know, from basically like, you know, 8.30 to you know, 9 to 6 basically. So, um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. I just like to you know take it week by week, and, and some weeks are like insane when it comes to travel and screenings and scheduling interviews, uh, and then other weeks, uh, you know, like this coming week uh, are are pretty chill, which is nice. Um, so so yeah, that's pretty much what we have to do. You sort of take it week by week, day by day. Cool. You mentioned Twitter. Do you want to shout out your Twitter handle? Sure. I'm uh, at Jermaine Lucier, G-E-R-M-A-I-N-L-U-S-S-I-E-R. Yeah, you can find me there pretty much all day. It's my main social media outlet. Oh, cool, man. Thank you uh, again for taking the time to talk with us and uh, sharing your insights into the life of an entertainment reporter. And congrats on all of your success. I know it gets very clear from um, just the way you talk that you're very excited about what you do. And, and uh, yeah, it's just awesome to hear about all those insights. So thank you oh. again. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. And uh, hopefully you'll get that uh, Star Wars set visit sometime uh, in the near future. Yeah. May, may the force be with me from that one. Thanks so <laughs> much, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. And thanks also to you, uh, our listeners. And we hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>